Hello and welcome to Boiled Down, the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association's podcast. I'm Greg Astley, your host, Director of Government Affairs, and I'm joined today by Sarah Shank, Communications Coordinator for Orla, and Danny Rosendahl, owner of On Deck Sports Bar and Grill. Welcome. Thank you. So today we're going to talk a little bit about hiring, uh, workforce issues. It's always a, um, a challenge, I think, in the hospitality industry and particularly in the restaurant industry. We've heard it as we've gone around the state in our regional conversations, and it doesn't matter if you're in Hood River or Ashland, Salem, somewhere on the coast, Central Oregon, or right here in Wilsonville or Portland. Um, it continues to be an issue for restaurants to find the right kind of people and to find people, period, uh, that they can hire and work in their in their restaurants. So, Danny, with that, um, it's it's a big issue, like I've just talked about, and I know you've you've had some challenges as well. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, how you're going about finding a different group of people that you can tap into, I guess, for for these hiring issues. Well, we've been looking for uh, employees now for the past few months, uh, especially in the kitchen, um, like most restaurants. Uh, but we've started kind of focusing on veterans, uh, veteran groups that can help uh, place it, people in jobs. The veterans that have worked for me in the past have always been extremely good employees um, in terms of their the work ethic and discipline and the background that they, they have from being in the military has translated extremely well into being a really good employee. And you've got a you've got one story in particular, I guess that that I'd ask you to share with us about somebody that you hired recently or, or a little while ago, I guess, and um, you found him through Craigslist. Yes, uh, but tell us tell us about him and and uh, what his future has been like. So he came into an interview with us um, about a year and a half ago for a dishwashing position, prep cook dishwashing position, um, and he had been looking for work for a very long time. Um, was a little older, um, didn't have a lot of experience, but had been volunteering at a local um, soup kitchen charity and has started doing dishes and um, told me that he just hadn't been able to find a job. He'd been interviewing and had not been given any offers. We decided to to offer him a job and uh, part of it had to do with the fact that he was a veteran and he's now been with me, like I said, a year and a half. Um, he not only does dishes, he's taken over all of our janitorial work, and he does a lot of the repairs and maintenance. Um, we have a very large outdoor space, as a lot of you know, which requires daily uh, maintenance and monthly bigger maintenance. And he's now kind of taken on all of that. And he's very skilled uh, at what he does. He's reliable, works extremely hard. Uh, and when I give him a job, I don't have to worry about following him around to see if he does it. That's yeah, I know it's done. The kind of traits you're looking for when you're hiring any employee. Absolutely. Um, being able to, you know, in, in the restaurant business, we do end up hiring lots of younger kids and, and sometimes people when they're with their first job. Um, and so sometimes you get used to having to babysit a little bit. And this is someone that I don't have to babysit. It's great. That is great. So you, you mentioned that uh, you hired him and, and, you know, one of the things that we've talked about a lot in the restaurant industry lately is that it is an industry of opportunity. And as Sarah just asked, you know, some of the qualities that you're looking for, I think um, one of the things we talked about before the show was that, that natural uh, desire of somebody to want to move up in, in the restaurant industry. Is that something that you're looking for as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, th- like I said, we hired him originally as a dishwasher, and, and then my kitchen manager has now taught him how to prep quite a bit. So he uh, spends part of his day prepping 
uh, and then doing the janitorial and maintenance. And then the dishwashing part now is sort of just if we need someone on a busy days. I mean, he really spends most of his time doing these other other jobs, uh, and he's gotten quite good at it. That's great. Now, you're hosting a group uh, this month uh, at On Deck Sports Bar and Grill. And by the way, if you'd like to go find that, it's ondeckSportsBar.com on the web. That's their website. But uh, tell us a little bit about the group that you're hosting and what they do. So VetWorks PDX is an organization that uh, works with veterans that are returning from, I believe, active service looking for positions uh, in the Portland area. And so they... I believe they we work with this organization to help find opportunities and positions that might be available. And how did you get connected with them? Um, I heard about them uh, on the internet and was referred to them through um, a gal that I've worked with, and she sort of introduced me to the gentleman that's running the organization, and now we're doing an event with them. So That's great. What advice do you have for other restaurant owners who haven't worked with these types of groups before, but if they're looking after hearing your experience, how would you tell them to get involved? Well, first of all, I think it's it's important for if you have a job opening is to is consider that uh, someone that is a veteran that has that experience. Um, in my opinion, I mean that's someone when I'm interviewing a group of people that that person or those those people that have that experience are going to have. Um, I'm going to move them up in my list of who I want to hire um, because, like I said, I've I've had several veterans that have worked for me over the years and. I've never regretted hiring anyone, any one of them, uh, and they've always done a, a fantastic job. So that, to me, is is the best advice. It would be that if you get someone that applies for a job that has military, you know, background service, um, that's a plus. Yeah, it just seems like such a natural fit. I love that there are organizations popping up to fill this need, and it really is like just such a window of opportunity. Like this entire industry just to be working up. So. I love that you're mm-hmm. working on connecting those. Well, and even like a, like the gentleman that's with me now, I mean, he had no experience cooking, and he had some experience just dishwashing as a volunteer. He'd not worked in a kitchen as busy as ours, um, but it didn't take long to get him up to speed. And, you know, with the way wages are going, minimum wage is going up, if I'm going to spend that kind of money to train someone, I would much rather train someone that has this military background uh, and experience because they're, I just, my experience has been they work harder and they're, they're easier to train. Absolutely. Yeah. You just want the work ethic. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the, the minimum wage increases, Danny, because I was just going to say, you know, with minimum wage going up and with paid sick leave and some of the other things that we see coming down the road legislatively that are going to affect uh, businesses, but particularly the restaurant industry, how important is it to find somebody for you that um, can multitask, that can be trained, that uh, you have that confidence in that when you give them a job, you know, you can walk away and it's going to get done to your satisfaction. Right. And that doesn't always happen when you're hiring high school kids, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what other things could you share with uh, anybody who's out there listening, the restaurant owners in particular, about, uh, I guess maybe, and you don't have to give away any secrets, obviously, <laughs> but about how you're finding people to hire? I mean, are there other non-traditional ways that you're looking to, to hire people? Because, again, as we've heard, sometimes it's a challenge just to get folks to show up for an interview. You can put out an ad and, and have a few people uh, respond to it, but then they don't show up. And and so I don't know if you're finding success in other avenues or. Um, sometimes, you know, my employees have met people that are working in other, you know, jobs, coffee shops and things like that. And we, I mean, sometimes, you know, you find out what their schedule is and if they're looking for another position, we get a lot of people that come in the door and leave resumes. Um, uh, but yes, I have definitely found that even with some of the more focused restaurant job websites, um, poached, for example, you still end up, you 
schedule 10 interviews and three people show up. So yeah. it is, it is difficult for sure. Um, working with a group like VetWorks, um, I think is going to give you a better group of applicants and people that are actually serious about looking for a job. They're not just getting unemployment and having to send out some resumes. Sure. So Danny, you've mentioned VetWorks and I know there are other organizations out there that help to bring you um, uh, pre-qualified applicants, I guess is a good way to, to maybe put it, people who are already kind of matched up with you. But if you, if you could describe uh, your wish for hiring somebody and, and how these organizations could help you, what does that look like? What, is, what would be your wish for these organizations out there that might be able to help? Well, I think, you know, finding a group of individuals that are actively looking for work that have, even if they don't have a skill set, but any skills they do have, and then extras like this military background, or maybe people that have family restaurants that they grew up in when they were kids, and that maybe they haven't worked in them for a while, but they grew up sort of knowing a little bit about it. Knowing that, you know, getting an applicant that, again, is somewhat pre-qualified, but even if they don't have the right skill set yet, but they are looking, actively looking for work and really want to work, and they've been vetted by an organization, um, is someone that I'd much rather talk to than trying to, you know, set up interviews off Craigslist or any other poach jobs and hoping that people show up. I mean, you spend, uh, you know, I, I end up spending an hour of my time waiting around for someone, for people to show up instead yeah. of getting an, an applicant that I already know wants a job. And really wants a job. Sure. I'm sure that resonates with a lot of our listeners. They're probably giving a resounding yes right now. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Like I said, anytime we've gone to these regional conversations uh, that we have around the state and we talk to folks, the number one issue that comes up is hiring people, finding good people, um, and getting them to show up. Uh, it just seems to be a, a really consistent theme throughout the conversations that we're having. So, Well, um, I'll tell you the other issue that we're seeing, um, I just thought about it, is is getting an applicant that has been working with an organization that maybe is in Oregon and is going to stay in Oregon. What I've seen in the last year, especially is, you know, I've always had a lot of applicants and I've hired a lot of people that come to Portland from all over the country. Um, and a lot of it, you know, younger twenties to thirties, they have the, you know, the mystique of Portland and they move here. And for example, last year I've hired a lot of people not one of them was from Portland, and most of them are now going back to where they came from for the reasons of rent, can't afford it. Um, this winter weather that we had disillusioned a lot of these kids that Portland is not this beautiful weathered city that they came last summer and thought it would be like that forever. I, I was going to say, but they're leaving right before the, the good weather comes in. That Their timing is really up, off. Yep. Um, so that has been a, in the last year, I've seen it. That's been a big challenge because I've had used, I'm used to having employees that stay for two, three, four, five years. And I've had probably four people that I hired in the last year that all went back to where they moved here from. Yeah. So working with, with someone who's working in, with an organization, uh, like, you know, one of the like, vet works, these are people that are, are in our community that have been here, they're living here. And, you know, I they I would think they have more of an insight and more of a plan to stay in Portland than they didn't just move here because it sounded cool. Right. Well, roots probably is where exactly. is what they have here. So, what what is the longest tenured employee that you have? Do you know offhand, Danny? Right now, uh, yes, I have an individual who's worked for me since the day we opened it on deck in two thousand four. Wow. Okay, that's impressive. So that says a lot about you as an owner, of course, as well. Uh, but it's nice to know that you have people like that that you can count on. He knows more about the place than I do. I think <laughs> <laughs> he knows where all the skeletons are. Yeah. <laughs> So Danny, servers, it seems like you've mentioned kind of come and go. A lot of folks that you've hired are going back to where they are. Um, and it, it's not a job that requires formal training or an education, you know, formal education or anything. 
Um, what's what's one of the more difficult jobs though that you need to hire for in your in your establishment? Well, I think it's I can speak not just for myself but for every restaurant owner that I know uh, is in the kitchen. Finding cooks in Portland right now, um, well, then it's been maybe the past year or so has been extremely difficult um, because part of it is this minimum wage issue and the wages and trying to keep up with the wages for the kitchen staff. Um, every restaurant owner I know uh, and my kitchen manager, he gets hit on every day when he goes shopping <laughs> from other kitchen managers. Um, they're always looking for cooks yeah. and finding them and keeping them is is extremely difficult right now. Um so a lot of it, we've started hiring younger, you know, younger people that maybe don't have experience or like my dishwasher, for example, who had no experience in prepping and, and my kitchen managers training people from scratch. And that is, is hard. Uh, it's expensive, but sometimes that's your only option because you just can't find experienced cooks right now. Yeah. Do you feel like employees are sticking around longer when you're training them because they feel like you're investing in them or is it, are you kind of seeing the same results? Um, it. I think that the ones we've have it on deck that we've started from scratch have stayed. Um, my kitchen manager, Juan, is amazing. And he, um, I mean, he's trained kids right out of high school um, that who had never cooked in their lives. Yeah, and he's invaluable. got them, you know, we have a girl who's been there now about a year, year and a half, and she, she can work by herself in the kitchen um, and does, you know, can cook everything that we do from breakfast to, to lunch to dinner. And, you know, she's... Um, now graduated from high school, um, but is doing well enough and making enough money. I hope that she'll stay around and we'll just keep, keep in increasing her skills. How much of a challenge has it been for you as a restaurant owner to not be in a state that has a tip credit? You know, Oregon's one of only seven. Um, and then all the uncertainty recently around the tip pooling, you know, we have the case that we're hoping the U S Supreme court will take up, but how much how much has that caused you some issues in in the back of the house um, and the front of the house, I guess, with with the policy changes? Oh, it's been extremely difficult. Um, you know, the kitchen staff, I mean, because one of my employees in the kitchen has been with me now for ten years and started as a dishwasher has was eventually trained into prepping. and now she works days running the kitchen, basically. Her wages haven't gone up as much as they should have because it's just impossible to to do it in in the environment that we're in. And I think this minimum wage issue is going to make it even more difficult because a lot of my kitchen staff is used to making a certain amount over minimum wage. That's kind of what they've always said to themselves. Well, if I make a dollar over minimum wage, I'm doing okay. Well, it's getting to that point where they may not be able to do that anymore. Um, And I've tried to explain that they can't because the minimum wage was artificially changed through, you know, the legislature, it's not a market driven number and they can't going forward, they really can't consider what minimum wage is versus what they're getting paid. Uh, I think there's going to be a little bit of a backlash from kitchen workers in Portland about it because they're going to see the servers making so much more money and they're not, you know, a lot of us restaurant owners talk about, you know, well, and I've explained it, you know, customers as well. Like if my restaurant was in Texas, I could have four people working for what I pay one person here. Right. Um, and so service, you know, issues happen because you can't, I mean, your margins aren't to the point where you can afford to just keep putting people out there and hope that you get enough business. Yeah. So then between that and the restrictive scheduling thing, um, I'm not looking to open another restaurant in Oregon. And I know a lot of other restaurant owners doing the same thing because it's just becoming so difficult to 
make money and we're not getting rich on the backs of our employees. We're just trying to keep the doors open sometimes. Yeah. Well, nationally, the profit margin for restaurants is somewhere between two and 5% and it's generally in that three to 4% range. So, um, certainly not, as you said, you know, swimming in pools of money like Scrooge McDuck. Um, right. <laughs> so, and you're right. I mean, what we've heard as well is not that re- restaurants are going to be closing, uh, not that they're going to be shuttering their doors because the minimum wage has gone up, but simply they're not going to be expanding in Oregon. Um, and chains, I know, are not going to be opening restaurants here because it's just not a business-friendly environment, especially in the restaurant side. So, I actually think that we will see restaurants closing. I think there's a lot of people that I know that have you know, been in the business a while, and it's at the point where, you know, this is a hard business. You work a lot of hours, you work weekends, you work holidays. And, you know, if you're going to end up making nothing or, you know, breaking even to stay open, it doesn't make a lot of sense to keep beating. It's like beating your head against the wall and not really getting anywhere. Yeah. Well, I know some owners probably take home less than they pay some of their employees by the time you factor in tips and wages. and Absolutely. So. And or hold their checks until right. they can make sure that all their employees' checks go through first. Yes. Yeah. That's kind of what happens sometimes. You're the last one to get paid. Yeah. I'm really glad we have you here right now because so many people, when they go to a restaurant, they look at the prices on the menu and they don't consider that. And it's just really great to shine some light on the realities of our industry. Well, I've seen a lot of other businesses, too, recently um, raising prices and having signs uh, on the on the counter. Um, my husband, in fact, got a haircut the other day and the price went from 14 to $16.42. And he said, what? this is a weird amount and they said well this is the they factored in what minimum wage is going up is going to be in so they've now raised their prices to a very odd number um other you know coffee shops have signs on the on the counter that say our prices have just gone up because of minimum wage Mm -hmm. um and i think that a lot of the people that were hoping and excited to get this minimum wage increase are going to realize that one they may make more per hour but they're not going to work as many hours or what everything that they were buying is going to, the prices are going up. Right. So it's not like you're really getting ahead. Effectively, they're not getting a raise for sure. No. Yeah. So um, Portland's a very competitive uh, market for restaurants. Um, we're very much a food scene now nationally and even internationally. And again, g- getting back to the, the server aspect of it and, and some of the, the tip pooling and the sharing that's been going on, um, recently Le Pigeon and, and Little Bird uh, had to step back from their no-tipping policy, their gratuity-free policy, uh, that they had and, and go back to a tipping um, policy. How has that affected other restaurants? Do you see any of that? And what does that do to the, um, I guess, the the transient nature of a server? Are they are they hopping from place to place to try to get a bigger tip or to, you know, are they moving from place to place to see if, if they can get a better deal? I haven't really seen that as much. I think, um, you know, a lot of my servers do have other jobs. Um, lately, though, because of a lot of these, you know, employees that are moving, uh, most of my staff is now working pretty much full time. So they're they're not really looking around. I think, um, you know, Portland has always been this restaurant sort of city. And I think that most of the people that live here, like a lot of in the country, they, being able to tip is a big thing to them. And they want to have that control. Um, and that's why, you know, having a, a restaurant chain or a group of restaurants that change their policy back, um, you know, people would rather have the opportunity to tip than be, you know, just have an automatic increase or, you know, the, the prices have gone up. I know another chain uh, is added a 2% charge to their, you know, bill, which is, 
to me, I mean, I see that and I, it was a, a kind of annoying because you're like, why is this drink was $8 now it's $8 and 16 cents and, or whatever it is. And, um, I, you know, I look at that. I think it's easier for customers to absorb just a 25 cent item increase than trying to do this percentage and explain that it's for the employees. And because a lot of people don't want to know, <laughs> you know, yeah. they're going out to dinner to enjoy themselves. They don't want to deal with paying the employees. <laughs> That's Jim Hall and Scott Dolich was, were on our podcast back in February. And Jim had that experience. He said he had a friend who came into the bar and it was, it was very much that same thing. It was like, you know, six bucks for a beer, but then it was $6 and 12 cents because of the 2% service charge. And his buddy was like, look, just charge me six twenty five. I don't, I don't need to know that. And I don't want to deal with the, the details of it. Well, and, the, and then tipping, you know, and then a lot of the POS systems will, and in this restaurant that I went to that had this, this charge, it still said in the tip, you know, suggestion was tipping on the total amount. So now you're tipping on the service charge on top of and yeah. unless you really look at it and that you know that's also some for a lot of people that's irritating too um they'd rather just have an even amount and and not deal with that yeah now i did hear just the other day that there is a, a group in portland a restaurant group and a separate individual restaurant uh that are going to be doing the um a separate tip line for the kitchen for the back of the house so there'll be a um, server tip line and then a kitchen tip line. And we haven't really heard of anybody trying that yet. So I'm going to be very curious to see how they roll that out, their communication efforts and education efforts with their customers and how that's kind of accepted or seen by the general public. Do you have any experience with that? Have you seen that yet? I haven't, yet? but I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes it really clear. Um, you know, I, I guess it might be an issue with servers if they start seeing the kitchen getting more tips, you know, and that that's where you see the, the customers making the decision who they want to reward the, you know, is it the food or was it the service or was it both? Sure, sure. Well, that seems like a good place for us to take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a moment. Are you in need of quality alcohol server training and certification? Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association pioneered online server training in Oregon. Approved by the OLCC, Orla's online alcohol server training allows you to get training when you need it, available 24-7. Training and exam costs only $18 and is valid statewide for five years. Get started today at OregonAlcoholServer.com. All right. Well, welcome back. This is the Boiled Down Podcast from the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. We're here with Danny Rosendahl, the On Deck Sports Bar and Grill owner. And again, you can find that on the web at OnDeckSportsBar.com. And thank you again, Danny, for being here. So as a final kind of a, a wrap up here, um, I wanted to just see if you had a message for the folks down there in Salem at the state capitol, our legislature, about some of the bills that they're either proposing, uh, reviewing, or that they've already passed, or you know, maybe you'd like to just get them to see this in a little bit different light. What, what would you like to tell them from your perspective? Well, I think that from my perspective, they really need to think about some of the issues that they're working on that really aren't necessary. Um, there's restrictive scheduling, for example, um, you know, listen to the employees. We've done the survey. It, it's been very clear that the people, at least in the restaurant industry, aren't upset with their schedules and they like the things the way they are. And there's no reason to fix it if it isn't broken. Uh, the pay equity issue is something that, you know, for some reason they, they have a, they think that tip credit or pay equity is a dirty word and it isn't. I mean, there's only seven states that don't do it. Uh, if it, 
you know, if it was so bad, it wouldn't be, <laughs> we wouldn't be the minority here um, in terms of having it and being able to pay people in the restaurant business in the front and the back more equally is, is what's fair. It's, this is a team effort. It's not, you know, the servers uh, aren't the only ones in the, in the game here and the kitchen staff, you know, needs to be compensated just as well. I think a lot of what I've heard and seen, we just keep getting more and more rules and restrictions and things that are outside of our control. And, you know, our business is, is, is really difficult. Uh, we all work extremely hard. This is not a business that you get into on a whim. I mean, and if you do, you realize really quickly that it, you're not going to make it if you don't put in the time and the energy and you're going to work holidays and weekends and you really don't have a time of your own. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I get called at home because there's something happening that I have to go back and deal with it. And that's the reality of this business. Um, so putting, piling more and more restrictions and rules on us, uh, is just making it even more difficult and i just think it's uh going to we're going to see it uh, we're going to see the number of restaurants i believe decreasing over time if they continue to do this which is because it's not it, it's not profitable um we've already seen a lot of you know great chefs that used to come to portland and open a restaurant it, they can't do it anymore it's you know rents are high you can't you know just come and find a space and open up a, a, a cool restaurant it takes a lot more money time and energy so the making things more difficult for us is not going to uh, you know help employees because obviously if the restaurants are aren't there the jobs aren't there you know we're all just trying to create jobs here um, especially I think the pay equity is the number one the number one issue that we would that, that would help all of us in the restaurant in, in business because with the minimum wage increase it's a double whammy so that tip credit between front of the house and back of the house, making sure that we can that we can do that. That's the one you're talking about. Yes. Or pay quality, whatever we want to call it. I mean pay that equity, yeah. yeah, that is kind of takes two birds, you know, and one stone, which is the cause the minimum wage increase. I mean, a lot of us are stressing out about that and trying to figure out I mean, that's why I'm trying to hire people now and train them this month <laughs> or in June, because mm -hmm. um, you know, I we're we're considering changing our the way we serve you know our service model we're gonna we've tried it already a couple times because we didn't have enough servers on you know for some of these days and we have people going to the bar and ordering and taking numbers out and we run food out and it's you know has worked so so um but that's the what we're considering is removing servers and just having the bartenders take these uh, basically right. take orders um, one of the things that I'll be talking with the OLCC with uh, after the legislative session is self-serve tap. Mm -hmm. um, there's a company that contacted me and asked about, you know, the Oregon law and they want to open up a place in Bend. Um, I've seen the systems. I, mean, I did a little research and I've seen it online. I mean, is that something that you could see happening in the future for you? Or is it more on the food side that you're needing customers to take their own orders as opposed to drinks i mean well i think and i've seen those systems and i've been to like nightclub and bar show i used to go every year and i saw a lot of those um depending on like some of them you'd have to build it in when you built out your restaurant the other ones are like there's there's these things that you can get that they're like little standalone tables mm -hmm. yeah or kegs that yeah you know, people take um i mean that those that, that would be great in a way, I mean, but again, the the issue would be is going to again go back to that how you know strict our rules are about overserving, and you know you're at that point these people are taking this keg of beer outside and putting mm -hmm. it on their table, and you don't know who's drinking. Who else it. is taking it? Yeah. And you know you got to worry about minors, and you got to worry about someone their their buddy shows up who's hammered, and you know so I that would probably be 
the OLCC would have to change a lot to yeah. probably allow that. Um, I think it just has to do with this fact that I have, you know, I mean, part of it is I have a 10,000 square foot deck and I mean, and with three entrances and what I see, you know, like for example, I mean, 10 barrel, they can control how many people go upstairs and they have to, mm -hmm. but they also, you have to go through the hostess stand, you know, we don't have that. Yeah. So, you know, and I've had people, I've heard, you know, people go, hey, you only had one bartender and all these people. I said, well, guess what? I mean, what happened is you know, like 30 people walked up the stairs all right. or 10 from each entrance and you know, you can't control it. And, yeah. and you pretty much, you just have people and they're, they just rip down signs and go sit wherever they want. So, <laughs> you know, for us trying to figure out how to deal with that and, you know, schedule servers versus this idea that on some of the other days, we're just going to have bar service. I have signs made. We're going to put them up in sections and say, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to sit here, you can, but you have to go in an order because yeah. there's not going to be a server down here. Yeah. Um, that is, you know, I know that the guy from Bambooza talked about how they went to a whole, they changed everything to counter service. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, if I could, I'd, you know, be looking at that because that's the reality that, sure. or, you know, Red Robin has those little yep. things now, whatever yep. they call them. The pads, tablets. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. How, how are you feeling about incorporating technology? I wasn't actually sure what you were talking about with the OLCC, the, so they have, um, you know how you go to a, like a, a growler fill place? Have you ever been to one of those where yeah. they have like 30 taps and you can pull the beers? So the same concept is there for customers though. And I've seen, you know, you buy coins, you have a wristband or a, you know, electronic thing that you hold up to it. Yeah, so yeah. you can buy a certain number of tokens kind of a thing and, and then they'll cut you off. But literally you can go up and pull your own beer and or I've or seen wine. them or wine. I've seen them actually, you know, in a table. So you get a, like a high top where you can seat like six people, and there's a tap in the middle of it, and you just you pour your own beer out of there. So okay, they have so portable like ones too now. They're like yeah. little. I mean, I call them kegs, but they're it's like a pitcher of some sort, and the bar fills it with the beer, and then you take it to your table and you serve yourself. Uh, it's um. U keg, I think, is I have one actually in my office right now. It's a pressurized keg, so you can go <laughs> to you can go to a growler. <laughs> well, you, well, you can go to a growler fill place and you can get this filled. The problem with most of those is it'll go flat very quickly because all they do is put a screw top on it. With this, you actually pressurize it with CO two, and then it essentially becomes a little mini keg where you can get you know, four to 12 glasses out of it, depending on the size of it or whatever. So it's a, it's a portable keg, but instead of having a massive one that you have to take around or even a pony keg where it's still a lot of beer, it's enough for four people to have like two beers a piece and then be done with it. So oh, that'd be interesting um, to see that start popping up in restaurants. Yeah. Well, it takes the, the full service model and kind of turns it on its head so that customers are actually having a part of the experience is pouring your own beer, which, you know, in the, in the past, that's why you're going out is so you don't have to serve <laughs> yourself. And now it's like, Oh, but I get to serve myself. So anyway, it's, it's perception. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. So we'll see how that goes, but yeah, the counter service model is, is definitely one that again, we're hearing from people just trying to move to because, um, costs it's it's, either using technology or, you know, just, it's a way of, yeah, everyone's looking at how can I reduce the number of people I have on the floor and still serve people. Right. But I think we're going to see that in the next few years is it's going to change a lot of, in with, because of minimum wage. And I've, you know, I've read the articles about New York and California and you know, it, it's already happening. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, it's just the reality is you can't afford to pay someone to stand around, you know, well, and even delivery. I mean, San Francisco, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, they have these delivery robots now. Um, <laughs> they're, they, they look a little bit like a, 
the uh, airplane, you know, food carts, but on steroids. Kind of like a little cooler, just driving around. It, it is. It's a it's a giant metal box, and it's got these massive rubber tires on it, and it, you program it, and it goes to wherever it's supposed to go, and you get your food out. There's a pre-programmed code, so nobody else can get your food. But yeah. Um, well, they even have robots now that can bartend that are making that make drinks, make the and drinks. they can make them faster than a human and accurate measured of course um and there's a, i think it's in new york there's a bar that has a couple of them they've named them i can't remember what they've given them names but they well it makes sense i mean if you see the the coke freestyle like at a burger king or wherever where you can get you know thousands of combinations of you know you can make your ginger ale orange raspberry mm-hmm. whatever i mean it's the same idea right it's just you've got your spirits you've got your mixers and it's just a combination of hoses and buttons and i mean you put that in the well and you have a, a human bartender that actually works the bar top and talks to people but you know this robot is doing the heavy lifting in the well you there can't it give is. up the bartender banter though you need that at a bar yeah, yeah. some combination sure. well and you know they talk about well this robot doesn't need sick leave this robot doesn't right. need family leave this robot doesn't get minimum wage doesn't he <laughs> works overtime yes, i mean it's not a problem not that's right so <laughs> but then when they break down it's a little more expensive than when somebody's out sick for a day or two so um yeah i was going to actually ask about uh and one of the thoughts when you talk about technology the, the social media and hiring but then you said you really don't use twitter or anything so i don't know how much of a facebook a factor that is for you you're, you're not really using social media to do hiring i actually just for the first time i did put an ad on facebook okay um a couple weeks ago and i got I only got two responses. Um, one never showed up for the interview. The other one did, but had a very restricted schedule that she wanted, and it wasn't something that was going to work for us. Now, was it a paid ad, or was it just a post that you put? You just I posted started on post- Facebook. Well, I went to post it, and I got a, um, a message th- you know, popped up right then saying, looks like you're placing a you know, walk-up. Mm-hmm. And then it said, follow this link if you want to f- use Facebook's uh, – they have a job search okay. wanted ad protocol I guess you call it and so it walked me through the steps of what I wanted and what I was looking for and then it put the ad out for me it was free you're an expert on that right Sarah as our communications coordinator social media guru yeah I would say actually anybody who can incorporate even Instagram into there I know that's really more popular among the foodie scene and like restaurants so I see a lot of in the hospitality industry a lot of that gets shared pretty well or just because you can send that very easily you can your friends will tag you in and be like hey look they're hiring um but yeah i'd say social media can definitely be a resource to tap into as or when you're looking to hire you know one of the things that you've mentioned was you've got that outdoor deck that beautiful outdoor seating area um and that's got to be a, a little bit of a challenge uh for you not knowing what the weather's going to be like from day to day um i know you've kept up on some of the stuff that's going on with the restrictive scheduling bills um how, how do you think that's going to impact you if that does pass and you've you've got to uh give that two weeks notice you've got to you know it limits your flexibility uh, limits the employee's flexibility what's that going to do to a place like yours that relies so heavily on that outdoor area um i think it will be devastating um i would we did a lot of big parties. Um, we get a lot of big parties that make reservations, and then if it starts to rain, they don't show up or they don't bring as many people. Um, it would, if I had to pay four hours or even an hour to people, because we, we, we call people off on a regular basis, unfortunately, because of the weather, um, it is an uncovered space. So if it's, you know, we, we hope for the best and we can move people inside. Um, but some of the parties are so large that, you know, we, we wing it. Um, and it can go from 50 people to 10 and then you don't need two servers. You need, you know, you need one. So that is, that's probably the most worrisome thing 
for me right now uh, because also is we're basically our volume is dictated by weather and sports Mm -hmm. so the sport issue of course is another one where um, in the fall Oregon Duck football we don't know what time the games are until the Sunday before. So I can't schedule two weeks in advance. I mean, sure. you know, and even now we do, we do our schedules and we kind of have us on Saturdays. There's always a big star that says could change due to the duck game. Cause again, that's going to be our busiest time of day. And we, my staff has always understood that Saturdays during football season, you got to be flexible because, you know, and everybody wants to work during the duck games <laughs> um, for sure. So that, you know, is something that I have no control over and it's not going to change because it all depends on the um, broadcast times and the better the team does, the better time they get the next week. And you just, you can't plan for it and, sure. you can, and it's nothing that I can do anything about. So that's, that's that this whole issue is really uh concerning yeah. for me well i'm going to make sure the pac-12 commissioner gets a copy of this podcast so he understands that we need to set those times a little earlier so <laughs> not not just for us the fans but for the business owners out there as well well plus you know the other issues going to postseason you know look like right now the oregon state beavers are you know number one seed yeah going Go to Beavs. the big tournament um if if they keep winning, which I expect them to do, then it'll be great. And then we won't be, we won't have to change our schedule, but you know, if something happens, you never know the blazers, you know, their season was another one, you know, you just hope that they have more games, but, and you plan for it because you, it's, it's easier to plan for it and then reduce your staff than try to add people at the last minute. Sure. Sure. So for more information, always go to OregonRLA.org. That's our website. Uh, you can email us at info at OregonRLA.org or follow us on Twitter. It's at Orla boiled down and we've got more information on all those topics there as well let us know what you want to talk about what you want to hear in future podcasts for sure yeah we're always looking for feedback and comments and of course we want you to spread the love Uh, make sure that you subscribe to us on itunes or whatever uh, system you use to listen to podcasts and uh, tell your friends about us once again uh, my name is greg astley i'm your host for boiled down the podcast for the oregon restaurant and lodging association a big thank you to danny rosendahl from on deck sports bar and grill thank you danny for being here today you're welcome and to my guest host sarah shank our communications coordinator for the oregon restaurant and lodging association thank you thank you final reminder the orla open uh, the golf tournament that supports our political action committee is july 31st at langdon farms Get together a foursome. Uh, you can sponsor a whole. Just have fun and support the pack. We're always looking for door prizes, sponsors, and players for that. And again, that's July 31st at Langdon Farms. And you can sign up by going to our website, OregonRLA.org. Get your staff trained and certified for serving alcohol by Oregon's highest quality training provider for the hospitality industry. Orla provides easy to follow, interactive online training that is valid statewide for five years. Employees can get the state-mandated alcohol server training they need on their schedule, and now for only $18. Go to OregonAlcoholServer.com today. All right, welcome back to Boiled Down, the podcast from the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. It's time for our Advocacy Watch. This is an opportunity for us to share with you some of the important issues that are happening legislatively, both at the state, local, and national level. Statewide, on the legislative level, there are a couple of bills. Uh, The first is House Bill 2005, the Pay Equity Bill. Initially, Orla had opposed this bill uh, because it included punitive damages against employers. But this was a bill that was destined to pass. And in working with some of the leadership, we were able to get 
amendments to this bill such that it was um, palatable for restaurant owners and the hospitality industry in general. The bill will take about seven years to implement uh, and is awaiting the governor's signature right now. We are also still working on Senate Bill 828, the restrictive scheduling bill. There have been many negotiations and amendments to this bill. Uh, It's in a better form, but it's still something that the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association is opposed to. It has been moved to the Senate Rules Committee, and we're waiting to see if it's going to be moved out of that or if it's possible to kill that bill. Additionally, we're currently following House Bill 2064, which would make amendments to the lodging tax distribution formula for tax dollars and would allow municipalities like cities and counties to include things like hanging flower baskets, sidewalk repair, and benches as a part of their tourism marketing and promotion or tourism-related facilities. Orla is opposed to this bill, and we're hoping to kill this before it comes out of the committee. Finally, uh, at the legislature, House Bill 3101A initially was a bill that would prohibit any lodging property from charging facility fees or resort fees in addition to the price of the guest room rental. Uh, We actually were able to work with the sponsors of this bill and get that changed so that lodging properties just need to let guests know about any facility fees before they complete uh, booking their reservation. And so we would consider that a win for Orla, and we're happy to see that information go out. On the national scene, on the restaurant side of things, we've got some good news. A decision by the House Financial Services Committee removed the repeal of the debit swipe fee protections, uh, which is also known as the Durbin Amendment, from the Financial Choice Act. Uh, It was a huge moment for restaurants and other Main Street businesses. And the NRA will continue the efforts um, until the House floor vote on the updated legislation, which could happen as soon as the week of June 5th. But right now, uh, the debit swipe fee um, has the repeal of that has been removed. And that's great news for our restaurant members and anybody who's using a debit card. Also on the restaurant side, uh, federally, the menu labeling was set to take effect on May 5th, 2017. But the Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, delayed the compliance date until May 7th, 2018. And with that delay, FDA has also announced a new 60-day comment period. The National Restaurant Association is working with member companies and the state restaurant associations like Orla about our approach to the new rulemaking and staying in close contact with the FDA to make sure that state and local governments don't try to enforce ahead of the new 2018 compliance date. Also on the federal level with our lodging members, uh, Jason Brandt, President and CEO for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association, myself and a few members were just back in D.C. to talk to our congressional delegation about a couple of important issues, including helping to stop online booking scams by third parties who mimic hotels' websites and then take money from unsuspecting customers who show up at a lodging property only to discover that they have no reservation and no room. Uh, A lot of members obviously are trying to accommodate and at a cost to themselves give those customers a room free of charge, but uh, we're asking that Congress crack down on these illegal booking scams and um, help us with that. We're also asking for their help in stopping uh, the ADA drive-by lawsuits. Um, And just to be clear, it does not mean that hotel properties don't want to comply with the ADA regulations. 
It just means that uh, there are some unscrupulous individuals out there uh, who either are contacting lawyers or the lawyers themselves are simply throwing lawsuits at hotel and lodging properties in the hopes of making a quick buck. Uh, it doesn't actually go to court, and it doesn't actually amend the problem. It just means that the attorney or their client gets some money from the hotel and lodging property. And so we're asking for them to limit predatory litigation targeting small business owners and protect uh, the fundamental components of the ADA to ensure that uh, businesses are fully accessible to the public. Finally, in D.C., we talked about tax reform and wanting to make sure that in addition to reviewing corporate tax structure and reform that Congress keep in mind most of our restaurant and lodging properties are uh, LLCs, S-Corps, pass-through corporations, and that we need to take a look at the personal tax code as well as the corporate tax code. That trip went very well. Um, Jason and I and all the members that attended were very happy with the meetings that we had, and a big thank you to our congressional delegation for hosting us. Finally, Orla has regional conversations coming to your community. For a full and complete list of where and when we will be having our regional conversations, please visit OregonRLA.org and look for information on our events calendar. The regional conversations are intended to be just that, a conversation between ORLA and members or non-members who'd like to attend for the first time. We talk about legislative issues. We talk about local issues. We try to find out what's going on, and it's an opportunity for restaurant owners, lodging property owners, and managers to share some stories and some best practices as well. Again, Orla's regional conversations are coming to your community or a community near you. And for more information, please visit OregonRLA.org. We've talked a lot today with Danny Rosendahl from On Deck Sports Bar and Grill about hiring issues and some of the challenges that go along with that for the restaurant and hospitality industries. So I'd like to take this opportunity to share a member benefit with you. We're always looking for ways to add value for our members and their membership. And one of those is a new partnership that we have with Snagajob, America's number one hourly marketplace. And they provide industry-leading hourly hiring and talent management solutions. Snagajob does focus on creating instant and quality connections so workers can get jobs and employers can hire workers. Orla members can take advantage of exclusive member pricing, including 10% off Snagajob's full suite of hiring solutions. To schedule a demo or for more information on benefits specifically for Orla members, please visit connect.snagajob.com backslash O-R-L-A. Once again, this is Greg Astley, your host for the Boiled Down Podcast from the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. Thanks for listening.